Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. So what's next? How do we ensure this business model is the status quo moving forward so we can all have financially successful businesses while helping others and reducing our footprint in the process? For this episode of Work Party, I sit down with Lindsay to dive into the TBL framework of her sustainable oral care line and learn more about her mission to eliminate the 1 billion plastic toothpaste tubes that end up in our landfills and ocean every single year. All right, let's get right into it. Welcome, Lindsay, to the podcast. So excited to have you. So excited to be here. Thanks, Jacqueline. Yeah, of course. So first and foremost, for those who might not be familiar, can you tell us what bite toothpaste bits are? Yes. So bite toothpaste bits are dry tablets. We use clean ingredients and it comes in a glass bottle that you're meant to like keep and refill with our compostable refill pouches. Our mission is to get plastic out of our everyday routines, starting with toothpaste, but we also now have uh, mouthwash and toothbrushes and floss. So anything in the bathroom that we feel like we can help make more sustainable, we, uh, we love digging into. So what prompted you to start this company? And, you know, the way the product works, it's, it's really disruptive to, you know, the normalcy of, of brushing your teeth. So it's a new learned behavior. What made you want to tackle this issue and kind of create something so unique? <laughs> toothpaste is a little random. Uh, I don't have like a dentistry background or even a chemistry background, but I've always been super passionate about conservation and the environment. And I was traveling all the time for work and I was going through those little toothpaste tubes and it just felt so incongruent with my life. You know, I was making sustainable choices in my everyday life, but then here I am traveling and just tossing out the little toothpaste tubes. So I started looking into alternatives and from that research, I started learning about all of the harsh chemicals and preservatives that are in commercial toothpaste, not to like help your teeth, but really just there because they're cheaper there. You know, it's kind of like the, the race to the bottom that the industry had gotten into. And I was like, I don't want to be putting that in my body, first of all, and then looking into the just like epic amount of waste that happens when you're throwing out these toothpaste tubes there. It's a mixed material 
products. So you can't just toss it in the recycling bin. And like looking into that, I realized like, okay, there's got to be a different way to do this. So I didn't actually want to make tablets at first because again, I didn't have a, a dentistry or a chemistry or a tableting background and tablets are actually incredibly complex to make and the machinery is very expensive. So I was like, can I make, you know, like toothpaste balls? Like I can pipe them out of a pastry bag or like, you know, and dry them in the oven or, you know, what are all these different types of form factors that I could use. And then finally, after trying everything, I was like, okay, a tablet's going to be the way to go. And so I ended up uh, taking online chemistry classes, talking to dentists, dental hygienists, and then taking tableting classes and buying a tableting machine and then making them in our living room. Wow. Uh, That's a crazy adventure. And so you mentioned that you were traveling a lot and going through these different travel sites, toothpaste. So tell us what you were doing pre-bite. You know, it sounds like you were traveling the world. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you sort of got to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. So before bite, like, you know, back before kind of the way this all happened, I was working as a surf instructor and a snowboard instructor. So in the summer, I would teach surf lessons in Malibu. And in the winter, I would, you know, uproot my life and move up to Big Bear, California and be a snowboard instructor up there. And so I was kind of going back and forth between these two lives. And I I loved it. But it got to the point where I was like, I feel like I want to be building a career. And unless I want to open my own surf camp or, you know, have a snowboard clinic, like I don't know if this is the the path for me. So I got a bartending job at night. I saved up every penny I could. And then I sold my car, gave everything away. And I ended up traveling the world for like over a year, just living out of a backpack and basically bought a one-way ticket to Alaska and just was like, I'm going to just travel till the money runs out. And I was like backpacking, hitchhiking, staying in hostels. Like this was back in 2013 when like the you know, travel influencer thing hadn't really become anything. So I was traveling with a GoPro filming everything for my own like memories. And I figured that I could make, you know, maybe like some content after because I'd always been really interested in video and content and storytelling. And so when I got back, I ended up actually making this like really insanely long YouTube series and putting it on YouTube and then realizing I really wanted to work in TV. So I started applying for jobs. I started as an assistant making nothing. And I was 29 years old. And I was like, I want to be able to like, hopefully one day make nature documentaries, conservation documentaries, like tell people about this amazing world and like how we need to save it and protect it. And it was working my way up through TV that I was actually then traveling all the time for shoots. So then it was like, I wasn't traveling, you know, like living out of a backpack, but when you travel for TV shoots, you're only there for a few days. So it's all carry on only. Uh, And that's when I kind of ended up like going through that mental shift of being like, you know, traveling light is really great. But if you're traveling light, that kind of means that you're just like creating all of this trash as you as you go, right? Because you're like buying things like as you go. So that's when I decided I was like, okay, I want to make a change. And I did not think that it would be a business. I kind of just got obsessed with figuring out the problem for myself. And then that's like the beginning of kind of how Byte started. Amazing. And so you do all this research, you buy a tableting machine, you figure out the product, and then where do you go from there? Like, how do you actually form the company and get it off the ground? So (laughs) watching a lot of YouTube videos, honestly, everything that I did, like the chemistry that I learned, I found on this Reddit thread that it was like, if you want to learn chemistry from senior year of high school to PhD and like organic chemistry, this is how you learn it. And so I was just taking all these free 
chemistry classes. And then the dentistry thing as well. I was just taking all these free classes. I actually went to a dental conference in Southern California, just like learn as much as I could. And then when it came to actually forming a business, it's obviously, I had never done that before, but I had already kind of stretched that learning muscle, you know, of like learning how to do chemistry and, you know, the basics of some dentists, like dentistry. So then it was kind of like, okay, now how do I form a companies. So I watched YouTube videos, how to make an LLC. I like watched like legal videos and I spent a lot of time like just kind of going through, going through that. It was all online, self-taught. So. Yep. The YouTube university is very real. (laughs) So you end up going on Shark Tank. So I want to hear about this experience and you end up turning down an offer from Mark Cuban. Can you walk us through that? Hey guys, it's Gabby from What's Gabby Cooking, and seeing as how we've all got a little extra time on our hands at home, um, hello social distancing, let's get down to business in the kitchen. Come hang every Monday while we talk about all things food and I answer your burning questions about cooking, ingredients, swaps, tips and tricks, etc. I'm also going to be highlighting super rad small businesses and we're going to be learning about other incredible makers in the food world and who even knows what else. Anything's fair game in 2020, right? What's Gabby cooking in the wild? Here we come. Yeah. So Bite was started, like I started, you know, messing around with the idea at the end of 2016 and then formulating throughout 2017 and then had our, our first little product to market, right? On a Shopify and Etsy site at 2017. And then we ended up going like bananas viral in 2018, where we had a, a video get picked up on Facebook that just kind of rippled all over the place. So when that first happened, in the midst of this craziness, Shark Tank had actually reached out and was like, you know, would you be interested? We want you to audition for the show. And at that point, I was like, I can't even breathe. Like, I can't think about this at all. Then fast forward to 2019, they were casting again. And we ended up, you know, you go through the casting process where you, you know, submit videos and, you know, go through this whole thing. And it's kind of crazy because the whole time along, like you don't know if it's going to happen. Like nothing, it's TV. So like nothing's confirmed until you're actually like shooting basically. So you're just still kind of being like, is this going to happen? We don't, is it going to happen? And the next thing you know, like we're filming it and it did happen uh, very much so. And I was really nervous because of my background in TV. I was like, oh man, like this could go so well, or it could also go so terribly, right? Um, you know? And so I was, I was really nervous, but I ended up like, I was so happy with the way it ended up. I feel like they were so like gracious and kind and it felt great to get two offers. We got an offer from Mr. Wonderful and from Mark Cuban. And we went in there, you know, I, it's funny, like our apartment before we did Shark Tank, I actually watched every single episode of Shark Tank before that. And I had never seen the show before that. But and I was writing down, I had these whiteboards up of like, what the sharks like, and what they don't like, and like what the trigger words are, and like what to say, and like not like to definitely avoid. I it was one of those things where when we walked in there, I thought I could predict kind of who would have what issues. And it was it was pretty true to life, but we didn't go in there with much to negotiate with. We, we went in there being like, this is what we want and this is what we'll do. And we didn't really want to budge from that. And so I think that's kind of, you know, in the end, we could not meet in the middle with Mark. You have to have your sort of non-negotiables going into that, I'm sure. But there's also this thing called the Shark Tank effect where your business really blows up after regardless of getting investment or not. Did you guys see any uptick from that? Yeah, we definitely did. Um, that's that's a real thing, and lots of lots of really positive, 
positive messages. Of course, it was hilarious. Like on my personal Instagram, I would get people being like, I can't believe you turned down Mark Cuban. And I was just like, oh my God, that's crazy. So I would get, you know, some a little bit of uh, not like hate, but gruff, you know, but for the most part, it was like the legitimacy and the spike that comes with going on Shark Tank is very real and very fun. I love that. So to date though, you haven't taken on any investment. You're completely self-funded? Yes. So how has that been navigating as you scale and grow the company and the team? So you're self-funded too, which I just think is so awesome. For me, it was built from a living room, which meant like, I think if even if I wanted to have fundraised at the beginning of this, like trying to walk into a, like a VC meeting and be like, I have toothpaste tablets and zero business experience, like give me money. There's no way that would have happened, right? Like that's not something that I think uh, investors would have wanted to bet on. But then it's like when, when we started and just started making, when I started, just started making the product and having to run a profitable business. And then, you know, from the success that we had, whether it's viral videos, Shark Tank, a few other like amazing press hits that really just launched the company, it then got to the point where it's like, wait, like we don't even need in investments, you know? And if we can keep this bootstrapped, then why wouldn't we, you know? And I think the, the general advice in industry, especially startups, is to take as much money as you can when you can. But I really decided to kind of buck that and just say, like, I want to be able to do this the way that I want to do this. I want to be able to grow this the way that I want to. I want to always put like the planet first and my customers first. And I don't want to be answering to an investor who has to answer to an LP who has to, you know, and I don't know you just kind of lose so much control once you take that money. And I really didn't want to do that. And we aren't in a position that we need to. So I think that's, you know, for us, I think if there's anybody out there who's building a business, you know, the general consensus is if you can raise, do raise. But I would just like to be one of the people out there being like, yeah, but maybe think about it. You know, like it, it's kind of great, like being able to, to, to do it yourself and to make those choices and not run anything by anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I'm of the same sort of ilk. I feel like I, I've never gone through the process. I've obviously never run a company that has raised money, but from what I've seen sort of happening around me and, and from talking to founders, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of weight comes with that cash that you're taking. Um, so yeah. take it very seriously. And, um, you know, it really is a marriage that you're getting into there. So just something to think about, but I'm really excited to hear about this triple bottom line business model that you have. Can you walk us through what that means and what that framework is? Yeah. So triple bottom line means instead of just looking at profits, you're also taking into account people and sustainability, like the environment. So for us, that was just from the get-go. I didn't even know the term triple bottom line before it was like, well, this is clearly like how I'm going to running my business, where it's the whole reason we exist is to make this world better. Like the only reason that I'm, I'm making these toothpaste tablets is because I saw this problem that seemed just so incredibly wasteful and was like, I'm going to fix this. Right. And so because of that, it's like, when you start having a business, you start then like, you know, we now have employees and you need to be able to make money. But every single decision that we make is run through the same filters of, you know, is this good for people? Is this good for the planet? And making sure those two very important things have a seat at the table. And for us, it's, it's not even just a seat at the table. I mean, they're the loudest voice in the room every single time we're making decisions. You would think that that's kind of how all businesses operate because it just seems to me, you know, in my gut, like the right thing to do. Um, but it, it's really not, you know, and a lot of these businesses, like especially the big, you know, old school ones, they, they exist to make 
profits like money for their shareholders. And, and honestly, those CEOs, that's what they're forced to do. That's what they have to do. They can't make a choice that's, you know, better for the planet, but not better for profits because they're like a publicly traded company. And that's not what's in the best interest of their shareholders. And that's the whole reason their company exists. Right. So I think it's kind of challenging the norms of being like, no, like it's not just profits and anybody along for the ride with us needs to understand that. Like we're doing profits, people and the planet all the time. I love that. And I feel like now more than ever, there's so much hype around social good, impact businesses, sustainability, but there's also a lot of confusion. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, consumer confusion when it comes to sustainability? Like how do you define it at Byte and what does it actually mean to be a truly sustainable business? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, greenwashing is so real and so rampant. So for us, you know, I treat sustainability as a moving goalpost. And, you know, it's not like it's something where you're done. It's that we make the most sustainable choice that we possibly can at the time. And if it's not sustainable enough for us, we'll just abandon it entirely, right? But we make the most sustainable choice we can at the time. But then we're constantly pushing to be like, what's more sustainable? What's more sustainable? And so an example would be... Our toothbrush bristles originally had some polyester and then polyester is a petroleum product. And that we were very transparent saying, this is the most eco-friendly choice we can make at the time. However, it's not perfect. Uh, we wouldn't normally be doing something like this, but we all need to brush our teeth. So this is the choice that we're, we're making. And we were very transparent. But in the background, we were constantly looking for a more sustainable solution. And then we finally found one, which was castor bean oil, which has zero fossil fuels in it. And it's kind of like being able to make the choice, but then continue to iterate on the choice. And I think it's hard to combat, you know, greenwashing and understand like why you should trust some business and not others. I think a lot of it's going to come down to being realistic when you're looking at a more sustainable solution and an ethical solution it's unfortunately going to cost more. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the things that's always a trigger for me, if there's a company trying to be like, we're just as cheap as competitors, you know, but we're sustainable and ethical. And you're kind of like, well, how? Because like we're made in the US and like that means we pay way more to have it made. And like we use high quality ingredients and glass is more expensive than plastic. So if you really are a more eco-friendly ethical company, you are going to be a little bit more expensive. And I think that that like, as long as you dig into the values and that company's ability to be transparent, then it's like, I think it's being realistic. It's like when you see something come out and I don't want to like name things like a clothing brand and they're like sustainable and their t-shirts like $11. You're kind of like, how? Uh, how? Yeah, you know, totally. Uh, probably not true. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Well, and research shows that customers are willing to pay more for the products to avoid plastic packaging, to be more sustainable and other things. So hopefully we're seeing that trend continue knowing that it does cost money to be sustainable. And it's very challenging if you're a business that's been around for a very long time to all of a sudden be quote unquote sustainable. So it's interesting because that's been your message since the beginning. So it's interesting to hear you talking a little bit about greenwashing, which I definitely think is something that we're seeing more and more. So starting a business is never easy, especially going into it with no previous experience, but obviously you're not opposed to taking risks. You know, you packed up everything, bought a one-way ticket, but tell us a little bit about having the courage to start this company and what has been the biggest learning curve during this entire process? 
uh, for the courage to start it, I think ignorance is bliss. I didn't know what I was up against, right? So I was like, I'm just going to make toothpaste tablets in my living room. It's going to be great. Like, I didn't think that I would ever be looking at like Crest and Colgate as my competitors, right? I think if I would have like t- taken a step back and thought about it, I'd been like, that's not smart, <laughs> you know? Obviously, in the end, it's, it's working out. It's all good. So I think for me, it was almost not even looking at what other people were doing and just really enjoying what I was doing. It wasn't even needing to have courage. It was just kind of like, I feel like I'm kind of creating like art or something that I love and, and hopefully it does well, you know, type mentality. And I think, man, the learning curve is so real. So it's something that it's, I'm still doing it all, all the time. Like this is like entrepreneurship is a learning curve, I feel like. And, uh, it was, you know, in the beginning, it was trying to figure out chemistry and how to build a business. And now it's like more complex problems of like how to, you know, how to hire, when to hire, what to do, you know, and those kind of things. And so some of the best advice I got was just read as much as you can, like all the time. And I listen to an audio book or I read a book. I mean, I'm at like almost every week or every other week. Like when I go for a run, I like listen to audio books as much as I listen to music, just because there's people who have done this before. They're super smart. They know what they're doing and they've like written out their thoughts on it. And so I, that's what I really lean into. And that's how I try to just keep learning more. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, there's road bumps along the way, there's things that you run into an issue. So how do you handle failure or when something hasn't worked out for you? And what do you do in those moments? I would love to be able to say that, like, I immediately have perspective and I take deep breaths and then I, you know, see it as like this learning opportunity. But, you know, failure is really tough. And I think, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, like you're probably a little competitive. I know I am and hard on myself as well. So when something doesn't work out or when, you know, I fail at something which happens quite often when you're charting new territory, there's that's like a thing. I, you know, I get I get upset and then I have like a pity party and then I usually go for a long run. And I think that, you know, kind of like letting myself feel the feelings of being upset and feeling, you know, like, oh, I wasted all this time and oh, you know, I can't do this and, and all of that. And then just being like, okay, just go run it out, sweat it out. And then by the time I get back, like, I feel like, okay, you know, like, here's my new plan. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do to try to get around that or, you know, and so by the time I, I like let myself feel all the feelings and then run it out and I, uh, I feel much better. I mean, I wish I went on a run, <laughs> which running was my thing. But like it's like sleeping. <laughs> I want to chat a little bit about advice you've received. So obviously you said you read a lot of books, but what has been the best advice you've received in your role as an entrepreneur? And what advice would you give a founder who wants to launch a sustainable business today? Great question. So I would say for, for general entrepreneurship, one of the best pieces of advice that I, I got was just the, like, no one totally knows what they're doing. Like it's kind of like improv there. Everyone's figuring things out. Like if you're in entrepreneurship and you're doing something or you're building a business, you're doing something new, it's going to be weird and uncharted and that's okay. So like feeling confident in the fact that you might not feel confident all the time because you're figuring out new things made me feel much more at peace with the fact that I felt like I had to have all the answers and I felt like I had to know what I was doing all the time and just kind of understanding like there's gonna be sometimes that you feel like you could conquer the world and there's gonna be sometimes that you feel like you have no idea what you're doing and it's all part of the journey right so I think that was coming uh, like a helpful 
thing to internalize. And then for someone who wants to build like a, a mission-driven or an, a sustainable business, I would say like, don't take any shortcuts and do your research enough to be able to like live by your values. So like so much of when we first started, like I would talk to manufacturers, I talked to co-packers, I talked to people and they'd be like, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't. No, 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 no. And I was just like, I know what the right path is and I know what's the most sustainable thing. And I'm going to find someone who's on the same page as me, or I'm going to like, like a lot of times we've been teaching our co-packers and teaching our manufacturers how to do what we need them to do. And it's like just not taking the shortcut. Like it, people are going to tell you, like when I had my glass bottles, they were like, it's, you know, you shouldn't do glass and you should do plastic and plastic's recyclable. So it shouldn't be an issue. And, you know, and like we can, you know, cause it's so much easier to deal with and just being like, no, 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 no. Like it, it has to be this. And I think there's going to be a lot of times where people are going to ask you to bend and it's just, it's better for you and the planet and your customers and people to just really stick to your guns and, and keep doing it. And it will pay off in the end. Absolutely. So you're really all about living with intention, obviously sustainability in the planet. One of the things that comes along with being an entrepreneur is, you know, stress, <laughs> working <laughs> all the time. So how are you balancing, you know, running a self-funded company that's, you know, doing really well with having a life and, you know, feeling connected to your life and your relationships? Ah, <laughs> it's funny. I feel like I really love what I do. So I think like the value of work-life balance doesn't really come into play for me because like, I really feel like, and this is something like a huge asset of building a business that you deeply, deeply care about, like to the point where it's like, I can't think of any better way to spend my day than figuring out how to make things more sustainable and how to make the world like better. Right. So for me, it's kind of, I, I don't really have like the, the typical quote work life balance at this point because I, I put so much time and love into my company, but I don't, I see it more as like a mission and not really as like a job. So that's been helpful. But then like one thing that I do is like, I just did this weekend, especially with COVID right now, you don't really want to go outside or like go around people. And so you kind of end up just working all the time. But this weekend I like closed my laptop and I took my paddleboard out on the water and I was just like, Oh, right like the ocean, like this is what I'm trying to protect and what I'm here for, you know? And so that was really nice. But for, for me, and I think that anybody who is finding that their work-life balance is, is rather skewed to the work, maybe don't feel so guilty about that if it's working for you. I really, I cherish it. And I, I feel very lucky to be able to do what I'm doing right now. And even though it probably looks like I'm working too hard from the outside. I totally hear you on that. So what is your long-term vision for Byte? Like, what is your goal for the company long-term? I like always want to be the one, the company on the outside, like the thorn in the side of the personal care industry, just like pushing them to be more sustainable. Uh, you know, since, since launching our toothpaste tablets, one of the big toothpaste brands have now launched their own. And for most people, that would be like super scary. But for me, I'm like, holy cow, that means we are doing some great things. You know, like when the big guys are like, hey, they're eating into our market share enough that we're going to have to come out with a competing product. For me, I'm like, that's great because that's less plastic ending up in our planet, you know, like in our oceans and our, and it, like that's, 
this is the whole goal. So for me, it's just to continue to be on the the outside of this and keep on pushing them and proving to them like customers want this. You guys need to change. This is the way the future is. And like, we're going to keep eating into your like market share if you don't make some serious changes in your business model and like actually start putting sustainability first. So I would love to just get bigger and more threatening <laughs> in that way. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Threatening. Like it's like positive threatening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> positive threatening for the planet. Well, I love it. I'm so excited to see what you guys do next. And can you tell everyone where they can check out Bite? Yeah, absolutely. So we, it, we're bitetoothpastefits.com. We're Bite on Instagram, Bite on TikTok and Bite Toothpaste on Twitter. It, we, we have a lot of fun. We make some really fun zero waste memes. I feel like that's my, 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 my favorite thing about social media is putting up eco-friendly memes. So I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. It was so great chatting. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.